Hello, my wonderful friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and it's great to have you along. Hey, so this is like the fourth time I've tried recording this episode. Um, Right now, it is Saturday morning, very early, before anyone in the house is awake. Uh, I've got coffee. It was a long night last night. Jordan was up until like 1 a.m. I don't know what was going on. But at like 12 o'clock, she wanted to play with her blocks. And uh, yeah, we are a little bit tired. But it's all good. Uh, up early this morning, I uh, got some coffee, uh, got to go to work. But anyway, this is like the fourth time I've tried recording this because yesterday I tried to record it. And for whatever reason, I use GarageBand on my Mac. And I work for Apple, so like I should just know how to fix things. But uh, I was getting this random message like three quarters of the way through the episode and then like saying the system engine was like overloaded in the computer. I don't even know what that means. And then just GarageBand stopped working and I don't know. So here we are again. I'm going to try it again. Hopefully it's not going to um, crash. And uh, if it does, I'm going to be a frustrated man for the rest of the day. But I am going to work, so at least I can maybe ask someone there what's going on and then try to record it again for a fifth time uh, later on today. A uh, couple things. Uh, number one, Patreon. If you haven't visited uh, patreon.com slash whatifproject, uh, the What If Project is on Patreon. So you can go there, and uh, it's a place where you can give. So if you're looking to support uh, someone like myself and a project like the one I'm doing, um, if this has impacted you, challenged you, pushed you, whatever, uh, you can go there and there's different levels of giving that you can choose from. Anywhere from $3 a month up to, I think, $30 a month. And there's different levels with different rewards. Uh, so when you sign up for something, uh, you get a reward in return. Uh, so go check it out. Uh, see what it's all about. And um, I would love uh, for you to be there. And even if you even if you can't give, that's fine. There's not, no, no shame in that. Um, but if you could go check it out anyway... I would definitely appreciate uh, your your thoughts and uh, your your feedback. Uh, another thing, stay tuned. There is a Lent discussion group coming up. Uh, we're going to be doing a Lent series starting uh, March. Who? When is Lent this year? It's like the very beginning of March. I don't remember the date. I want to say it's the eighth, perhaps. Uh, but we're going to be doing a a book, reading through a book together, one chapter a week for six weeks, and uh, we will meet together uh, on Zoom video chat only one time throughout those six weeks, and uh, I will be meeting with each person individually one time um, throughout those six weeks, and uh, we will do some other really cool things together um, all online, and uh, I'm excited about it, so details to come. Uh, stay tuned, whatifproject.com or .net, sorry, and then click on uh, discussion groups and it will take you to the page. I will probably have it updated in the next week or so. Anyway, all that to say, uh, this is episode number 29 and it's also week three of our three-part series that we're calling Burn Those Books, where I'm I'm sharing with you the three books that made the biggest impact on my faith and my thinking in 2018. 
And we're calling it Burn Those Books because they're books that most likely would not be welcomed in your typical North American evangelical church. Now, parts of the books would. You know, some people would open up the book and say, oh, this is really good. This is good. I, I like this, blah, blah, blah. But there's other parts of it that people would be like, oh, we need to rip those pages out, burn them, shred them, throw the author in the fire, whatever. But anyway, so burn those books. And uh, today I want to share with you a book by a woman named Julia Dewin, um, who is, or well, I don't know if she still is, but the religious uh, religion editor for the Washington Times. And she wrote a book called Quitting Church. Now, you can't judge a book by its cover or its title in this case, uh, because it's not a book that encourages you to quit church. So uh, if you're a Christian and you just heard that title and started to twitch a little bit, uh, relax. It's not about encouraging people to quit church, uh, but a book that looks to give, uh, I guess, some like possible reasons as to why people are quitting church. And before I go any further with that, I have to say, to be honest, I really struggled with what book to pick this week because I have so many books that I read last year that would really uh, make some church people uncomfortable. And there's a lot that I wanted to talk about with those books. And so that makes me think that I probably will do another series like this maybe later in the year, uh, maybe like in October or something like that. And we'll have to maybe do this like maybe a couple times a year because I don't know, maybe burn those books will become like a what if project thing. Maybe we'll talk about books and we'll get some authors on here like I, I usually do and we'll have them talk in that series about their book. I think it would be really cool. So we'll see where it goes. Um, but stay tuned. Probably coming back again in October. Uh, what if project.net uh, burn those books phase two. We'll see. Anyways, uh, Dewan, in the, the author of the book, writes to inform churches, leaders, um, anybody who's interested really, that people are leaving the church in like large amounts. And she tries to pinpoint some reasons why, while also trying to give some perspective on on what we might be able to do about it, like exactly what the problem is and uh, how we can maybe begin to think about addressing it. So uh, for example, and keep in mind, she wrote this book in 2008, which was like 11 years ago. So now you feel old, I feel old, uh, 2008. Yes, uh, was 11 years ago. So she says that at the current rate, only 4% of America's teens will end up as Bible-believing Christians, compared to 35% of the baby boomers and 65% of their World War II-era grandparents. In other words, as every year goes by, less and less and less and less people are grounding themselves in the church, so much so that when today's teenagers are adults, less than 5% of them will be active in the church as Bible-believing Christians. I mean, think about that, right? Less than 5%, think of all the teenagers today, less than 5% of them will end up becoming Bible-believing Christian adults. That is staggering. But why? Right? Like, what is the deal? And her book addresses that on a pretty deep level, but there's just one thing that she says that really strikes a chord with me, and I just want to touch on that today. But before I do, uh, I've got to make a confession to you. Um, and here it is. The Seeperts, me, my wife, my daughter, haven't really been going to church on a super consistent basis, 
over the last year and a half. Now, before you yell at me, to be honest, uh, we just needed a break. Uh, like To give you some context, I used to pastor a church. I've told you that before. And although there were lots and lots of things that I loved about being a pastor, I felt like the politics of the church very often overshadowed the things that I loved and enjoyed. Um, politics. What kind of politics are in a church? Well, I made a list. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have a list of things in front of me uh, that make the church feel like a political arena at times. Um, and here, here's some things. Uh, like making sure that the person who gives a lot of money each week and always sits in the back right corner, I've got to do everything in my power to make sure that guy likes me. And I got to make sure that I don't tick that guy off so that he threatens to take his money to another church because that actually happens. People will go to the pastor who give a lot of money and say, if you don't do this or talk about this uh, the way that I think it should be done, I will take my money to another church. People do that. Other things, making sure that I uh, preach things that everybody is on board with, making sure that I have proper theology and proper doctrine, uh, making sure I don't rock the boat with some new ideas. And if I do rock it, that I don't rock it too much. Like the What If Project would not fly in most churches. It just would not, people would not like that. Uh, late night board meetings where we would spend three hours arguing about stuff that really doesn't matter. Being told that real pastors, someone actually told me this, real pastors preach about hell. Uh, being told that my understanding of God needs to be updated and that maybe it would be a good idea for me to go back to school. Knowing that the group of people over here is happy, but the group of people over there is not. And then trying to figure out, how do I make the unhappy group happy without making the happy group unhappy so that eventually we can get everybody at least somewhat happy? Being criticized for the way I dressed or how long my hair was uh, or because my tattoo is showing in the pulpit, like, oh no, your tattoo is showing. Oh no, right? Being told that we need more people in the church and being told that I need to figure out how to make that happen. Being told that we need more money in the plates and I need to preach more on the importance of tithing to, in essence, guilt and shame people into giving more money. Uh, I swear to you, one time we were in a board meeting until one o'clock in the morning arguing about whether or not we should have a Christmas tree in the sanctuary during the Advent Christmas season. Yes, a Christmas tree. Okay, now I, of course, said yes. Right, we need to have a tree. Yes, yes, yes. Other people said it would distract from the true meaning of Christmas. Because, you know, having a Christmas tree next to the pulpit is evil. But having the American flag up there, which this church did, 365, 24-7, was okay and biblical and somehow put a smile on baby Jesus's face, right? So having the flag up there is good, Christmas tree, the devil. Now, sometimes you have to pick a hill to die on, right? Sometimes you got to do that. And for me, all the way back in 2005, it was the Christmas tree hill. <laughs> I fought and I fought and I fought until one o'clock in the morning. And by golly, I will tell you, there was a Christmas tree in the sanctuary a few weeks later. And it was amazing, and I may or may not have referenced that tree in every single sermon during the Advent season. Absolutely. Hold your applause. I know. Um, but I won the battle. 
listen, there are politics in the church, uh, and you have to deal with it when you are a pastor. All of these things plus more happen, and I, I wish I could say I'm exaggerating, but I am not. Um, and after pastoring that church, my wife and I went on to plant a church, which means start up a church, and then we were involved in another church after that, and both the church we were involved in and our church plant and the various churches where we interned and volunteered all throughout our schooling and things like that, each had their own set of politics that needed to be dealt with uh, and addressed day after day, week after week, month after month. And the reality is that as a pastor, you need to be good at playing the people game. Now, if you're a pastor, and I just said that, you're shaking your head. You know exactly what I mean. If you're not a pastor, let me explain. Uh, You need to be a people person who can read people, sway people, lower the voices of the loud people, raise the voices of the quiet people, win people over, and keep that boat that all these people are on from rocking too hard. Got to keep people somewhat happy. And although I could do those things, and although I did them for a, a bunch of years as a pastor in internships and while on staff at other churches, I hated doing it. I hated it so much. And it just left me feeling drained, tired, miserable. I'm like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Then, and then we moved to North Carolina, which is where we are now. And we just felt like we needed a break. Uh, we've been to a few different churches a bunch of times since moving down here. But in all of those um, churches, we either, one, experience theologies and, and understandings of God and faith and Christianity that are just far removed from where our journey has currently brought us. And uh, two, or, or two, we found ourselves kind of surrounded by the same sorts of politics that we experienced in our past churches. Now, will, will we ever go back to church more than occasionally? Of course. Uh, do we still believe in the church? Absolutely. Do we still love the church? A thousand times yes. Do we still love Jesus? Contrary to what some might think, yes, we love Jesus uh, more than ever. So, so don't send me hate mail. I'm not going to read it. Uh, bottom line is we just needed a break. And so during this break from church activity, we've been kind of challenging ourselves um, in this secret house to practice instead of just believe. Uh, As a pastor, I found it extremely easy to get so caught up in what I believed and so caught up in what was good theology versus bad theology, uh, so caught up in making sure that my sermons were doctrinally sound in the way I understood um, and explained God and faith was accurate, compelling, tidy. It was all too easy to focus on those things and let my life and my actions and my words towards and about others become untidy, unsound, and uncompelling. Um, In short, it was easy to think like a pastor, but act and talk like a total jerk. And so as we find ourselves in this season where we're less involved in church life and more involved in the deconstruction, reconstruction that I talked about last week, we've also made it an intentional effort to practice our faith in what I would say are more creative ways. So whether it's lending a helping hand of some sort to a neighbor or spending extra time getting to know the person who checks us out at the grocery store every week, or taking the time to chat with people at work or online about how this podcast, this blog has impacted or challenged their faith. We've been trying to be creative and intentional with how we bring God to people instead of just trying to bring ourselves and others to meet God in church every Sunday. 
And the same thing here at the What If Project. I'm super excited. Last week, I just had a conversation with someone who is very active with the Pride Parade here in uh, Charlotte. And I'm talking with people right now about either this year or next year, setting up a table, having the What If Project set up a table at the Pride Parade where we serve communion to LGBTQ people who have been burned or shamed by the church. Serve them communion, embrace them, tell them they are loved and welcomed at Jesus' table. Again, practicing faith in creative ways. And I tell you all of this, let's bring it back to this book, uh, because one of the things that Dewan says in her book is that people leave church because church feels irrelevant. In other words, because church doesn't challenge them or equip them to be difference makers in their real world situations. The church spends way too much time answering questions no one is asking instead of equipping people and empowering them to be change agents in their world. Um, In an interview that she did with uh, activist Shane Claiborne, he says this, he says, it's not so much that Jesus and his disciples said good things, but it's how they lived that was compelling. We must give visibility to Christianity as a way of living rather than just a way of being. I think that is attractive to people. Most people, he says, who have been suffocated by doctrine and theology know there's more to Christianity than just believing. When people see there are ways of living that don't conform to the patterns of the world, that is very attractive. And so I wonder what would happen if as church people we became less concerned with doctrine and more concerned with action. Now, I'm not saying, please, I'm not saying that doctrine and theology are not important. They are. They have their place. I'm not saying that churches or people who emphasize their importance are wrong or bad or misguided. I'm not saying that. Again, don't send me hate mail. I won't read it. I'm just wondering what the church might be like or how people's perception of the church might change if instead of lobbing doctrine bombs at people, and always insisting that there are certain ways to believe and certain beliefs that must be adhered to and all that, I wonder what it would be like if instead we lobbed love bombs at the people in our lives, communities, in our world, who might not be or feel welcomed in the church, who might think God is mad at them, who might have grown up shamed by the Bible. I wonder what would happen if instead of suffocating these people, with a list of things that they need to believe and a long list of things that they'll never be able to measure up to if we instead sought to simply intentionally model the no-strings-attached love of Jesus to them. What would happen in the church if that became our focus? As Pavlovitz's book challenged us last week, what if we lived our lives with the intention of making the table bigger? That is something to think about. This, my friends, is episode number 29, the final installment of the wonderful series, uh, Burn Those Books. And we will be back here next week with episode 30 and a very special interview. So stay tuned for that. Have a wonderful week. Much love to you. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.